0: Spanning the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films, and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia.
1: Welcome to episode 132 of the Down and Nerdy podcast. I'm James Witham alongside...
2: The Merck One-Arm, Nick Batagling we're going to kind of rush through this intro. Now, we would have hired the Micro Machines man, but James, uh, we can't afford him.
1: No, we can't, but who have we got on the show this week?
2: Well, we have Echo Kellum, of course, Mr. Terrific, and Curtis Holt from Arrow on the CW. And James, you know, we had fun last week, of course, talking to Eric Kripke and Sean Ryan of of course, Timeless on NBC.
1: Yeah, those guys were great. I can't wait to talk about Arrow with Alco Kellum a little bit later on, and we're going to review both shows on the show this week. <laughs> this is so awkward.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got a lot to get to, man. I know. We have Luke Cage. We have Timeless. We have Arrow. We have Flash. We have the quantum theory. We have everything we have to solve in just under an hour and a half. So and we don't have-, have super speed. No, we don't, but we do have super speed voices. And with that being said... We're going to just dive into what we're reading. That's coming up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Fastest intro ever!
0: Woo! Hi, this is Sean Ryan. And I'm Eric Kripke. And we're the creators of Timeless on NBC, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Well, we're now at regular speed, of course, because it's time to pull out our long boxes and discuss what we're reading this week. And James, it has been numerous months since we've reviewed a Marvel title.
1: Well, for good reason, let's be fair.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That is true. That is very true. Well, of course, it is October, which means Marvel has just started their Marvel Now.
1: They're sure that they're starting Marvel Now, right? They're sure.
2: Yeah, they're sure. I mean, you know, so war hasn't gotten, you know, hasn't ended yet. Uh, I'm just making sure that they're sure. Right, but, I mean, let's just say that Marvel Now, the initiative, I should say, is now officially started. Okay. And, you know, there were a bunch of titles that came out this week, but the one that we talked about on the show a while back that interested us, of course, was Marvel Champions. Now, of course, this involves Mark Wade as the writer, Humberto Ramos did the pencils, Victor Olazaba did the inks, and Edgar Delgado did the colors. Now, here's the thing. This, of course, takes place after Civil War II. Now, I will say this. I will start off with its bright spots. The chemistry between Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan, Nova, Miles Morales, of course, a.k.a. Spider-Man, and Amadeus Cho, the Hulk, really, really melds well and works. If you're a DC fan, if you love Teen Titans, this is Marvel's version of Teen Titans. Of course, as we all know, they leave the Avengers. They want to go out on their own because they decide, hey, we want to apprehend villains, by not using Lethal Force. There's a little bit of a social uh, message within the comic about that, especially what's going on in today's world. And here's the thing with the writing. The, the comedy aspect is there. You know, you have these smart-alecky teens that are talking to each other in certain dialects and tones. Now, here's the thing. Of course, you have Viv Vision as well, which is her arc is pretty interesting, how she ties into Amadeus' show. Because the the, the when you see the writing in this it's very based upon quick timing humor. And when you see a scene where they're at the vision's house and just the way that he talks you will chuckle a little bit. You really will. And now, however, there is a problem with this book and it's only at the end. As I said, this is based off of what happened in civil war. And there's a flashback that involves Kamala Khan and Sam Wilson and uh, Thor as well. And the way that this ends, I'm not going to spoil it, but it kind of it kind of negates the flashback that they use and the fact that okay, destruction has happened. Yet, I'll say this: people that aren't superhuman are very very accepting, given that these are teenagers and Civil War II did just happen, even though it hasn't ended yet because Marvel can't get their timelines right for <laughs> releasing books. But uh, it's just, I felt that at the end, people were a little too trusting of the champions, especially yeah. given what has happened with the crossover that recently uh, is currently happening Civil War Two.
1: I mean, I know people love Kamala Khan, and for good reason. Miss Marvel's actually been one of the bright spots for Marvel, I think. But here's the deal. It's not that... He, I don't think what you're saying is that that Miss Marvel and the way things these are this was executed is is bad. I don't think it's it's her. It's just the situation in general, right? It's
2: it's when you have yeah, it's when you have an overall situation where you have like a city's destroyed and, a, and train tracks are destroyed, you know, and there's destruction. But then when the champions do, they complete a certain mission in this book towards the tail end, everybody just simply magically forgets that shit went down and destruction happened prior to this event. And it's kind of like, that's kind of a pet peeve of mine when it comes to not just, a book like this, but just any book where you have certain type of destruction and you have people that are like, oh, they did one good thing. That gets them off the hook for everything, even though yeah. you know we don't know if we can trust them and stuff like that. Again, given the circumstances
1: I mean, of Civil War Two. Look at Aquaman, for example. People still haven't given Aquaman and the Atlanteans for stuff that had gone down way before that, and it's still a part of that book.
2: Right, Aquaman's like on what, issue 8? And they still haven't given him for shit that's happened in issue 1.
1: Yeah, and and you're saying, well, these are Atlanteans. Well, these are... Freaking people with superpowers and weapons right. and stuff. It's not that different.
2: Right. It's not that different at all. And, um, of course, Cyclops is not, I mean, he's in this book, but he's not part of the champions just yet. He is going to be uh, more the focus in issue two, uh, I will say. I can say that. As far as the art goes, very, very clean art. Again, if you're somebody who has read The Amazing Spider-Man after Superior Spider-Man, the art is very reminiscent of that uh, very, very clean. There's a shot. There's actually a beautiful panel in the beginning of the book where you see uh, Kamala Khan's Miss Marvel costume in her closet, and it's like on the floor. Just the detail on that and the way it's, it's lying there, uh, I think it's simply beautiful.
1: And, of course, wrinkle-proof, right? She's not gonna have to so. steam the wrinkles out of that before she goes and fights crime.
2: <laughs> well, I think that you know, with her body being able to stretch and grow and stuff like that to numerous sizes. Um, oh,
1: so convenient!
2: I, I, I think that it's it. She doesn't have to worry about wrinkles. I mean, I think her suit is wrinkle-free. I will say what this a time though. saver. I will say this though. There's a certain bit of scale with the with the Hulk, and you see like Miss Marvel and stuff like that, and just the scale with with Amadeus Cho show when he's the Hulk, and it's pretty interesting. But then it kind of there's a little bit of a thing though. Um, where the sizes don't match up from one panel to another, though, so it's it's kind of an issue. But overall, this is, again, three-quarters of this book was really, really good. The ending really did bother me just because I think people are just too trusting given the events of what's happened previously over the past few months. But this is not a poll. This is more of a pickup. I give this a few issues. Again, if you're a big Teen Titans fan, I think you'll enjoy this.
1: I think that's pretty fair, but I decided to move on to something, too, I pretty much thought I was going to enjoy it no matter what, just because of who was involved. And that's He-Man and Thundercats, number one, from DC Comics. And, man, you know, I, I love both of these things. And it's written by Rob David and Lloyd Goldfine, Drawn by, doesn't say art by, it says drawn by, Freddie E. Williams II. Colors by Jeremy Caldwell and lettered by Darren Bennett.
2: You probably read this book sitting on your couch in your fur bottoms with your, uh, little chest plate in your your blonde wig didn't you
1: holding up the tablet and saying i have the power (laughs) of (laughs) wi-fi by the power
2: of verizon that's
1: right (laughs) (laughs) but i mean as you dive i mean it's it's action the second you get to the first panel of the book and it's actually the thundercats battling mumra i can give you that because that happens all the time on thundercats (laughs) but here's the thing um you know, Mamra answers to the ancient, ancient spirits of evil. That's what kind of gives him his ability to regenerate and come back to life, stuff like that. Well, let's just say things aren't going well between him and the boss. And, and they're saying, okay, we're going to give you this one task, this one more task. Because they're basically tired of him getting his ass handed to him by the Thundercats all the time. <laughs> so they're like, okay, we're going to send you to this place. We're going to give you this task to complete. And if you can complete this task, we will help you defeat, finally defeat the Thundercats. So I guess you can imagine by the process of elimination, again, not really much of a spoiler, they are going to Eternia to get something. I want to tell you what that something is. It's probably obvious, but I'm not just going to give it away here. So he's basically being sent there to get something. Now, here's the deal. When you actually get to Eternia and you get with Adam and He-Man and stuff like that. It very much falls in line with the regular run of the comics as far as Adam being kind of a dork and a, uh, he's not very responsible. He's kind of an idiot. I mean, there's no really, there's no real so, way to go around it. So he's
2: kind of a dumb jock, per se.
1: Pretty much. I mean, he's 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 big, he's bulky, he's basically having everything handed to him, too. By the way, literally, he was supposed to get something so, at a ceremony in his so, honor that he was late for. So
2: what you're saying is he's one pop collar away from being a dude, bro.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, it, it's not aggravating. It's just like. <laughs> It's just like, what are you doing, man? You should be smarter than this. And then, of course, you know, when you turn into He-Man, it gets, it gets way better. But, and then once they discover an attorney what's going on, stuff really starts to go down fast and furious, man. It, it really does. And I will say that it's really hard for me to not give away these things. There is something in the middle of the book that's going to make your jaw hit the floor. And the first thing you're going to think is, there is no way that they're going to do this. You, you've got to be kidding me in a, in a very interesting way. And then you fast forward a little bit further out of the book and you do get, you do get some of the Thundercats in this as well. And what I do like is they kind of have, cause you know, Lionel's the king, but he also has this, it's, it's kind of hard to describe. There's doubt there in his own ability to lead and keep his people safe, even though he's done a pretty damn good job. so
2: far. So So pretty much you have Adam who is very, I'm the man, I'm this. Well, it's not even, it's yet, not even so much that, no, it's
1: just he's but, an idiot. Right,
2: right. <laughs> you have Ed, who's a complete buffoon and irresponsible. Then you have a guy in Lionel who's very responsible and is a leader, but he j- doubts himself pretty he, much.
1: He, he wears a bigger burden than he probably should, and the fellow Thundercats actually say, dude, we've got you kind of thing. You know, it's like, Hey, we believe in your leadership. You need to trust yourself more kind of thing.
2: So they're pretty much the rest of the Thunder cats, are like Robin Williams to Lionel's goodwill hunting. And uh, they're like, it's not your fault. Lionel,
0: no, it's, it's, it's not, not your, fault. your fault.
1: What's funny is he feels that way before he even, anything even happens, but you know, he uses the sort of omens to kind of see stuff that's going to happen later on. And, and yeah, he, he sees stuff that nobody else saw. Now I will say fast forward to the end of this book. And there's not really a surprise appearance at the end of this book because you, you kind of see the writing on the wall, but when you see how it actually goes down, it's pretty great. Now, in saying that, there's one thing that I had a problem with in this book. Okay. There's like a monologue that goes on throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Like throughout almost every page, there's a monologue going on and you're... As you're reading, you're like, what the hell is this doing here? <laughs> so and, and you get it at the end, you understand, but at the same time, it's like, I could have done without that. Right. Like, that didn't need to be there. <laughs> Even right. though they kind of used it to tie up the end of the book, it didn't need to be there at all. So if I was aggravated by anything, I think it was that.
2: I'm just picturing you going back to your sort of elements comment. I wonder. You know, Lionel can see things that other people can't. Imagine the browser history on that fucking thing.
1: Oh boy. <laughs> so
2: so much porn.
1: I, I, I don't I don't even want to know what the browser history plus if snarf gets his hands on it, look <laughs> out. <Oof>. <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> Chris Hansen comes out of nowhere. Now snarf have a seat. <laughs> oh snarf! <laughs> or Chris
1: Hansen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Chris Hansen. <laughs> uh, by the way,
2: how's the art in this?
1: I mean, if you read Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Batman crossover, it's the exact same art. So really? if you enjoyed that art, I mean, it's, it's pretty much the exact same art as that. So, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I thought that they had, they had really good to. His art on Mumra was fantastic. Yeah. i say that right now. I mean, it really, really made Mumra jump off the page And another character who shall remain nameless until you read the book. Um, I will say, though, that it wasn't... Maybe I had a little bit too high expectations for this. I really enjoyed it, but I, I gotta fall short of giving it a pull. I'm gonna give it a pickup because I think that there were some characters that were kind of pushed aside and I don't think there was too much equal time between Thundercats and, 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 the, and the He-Man group because even though they probably had the same amount of panel time, it just didn't feel that way. And this is very much a Mumra-centric first issue and and I'm not sure exactly how they're going to be able to meld the two worlds together because they didn't really get to that either in this first book. So I'm going to fall just short of giving this a poll, but it is a very easy pickup for me.
2: And that's going to do it for what we're reading this week. Again, we, I read Marvel's Champions, and that was a pickup for me, James. Of course, you read
1: He-Man and the Thundercats, which is a pickup as well.
2: And that's going to do it for what we're reading. But come up next, oh, Jesus Christ, you want to talk about jumping and running a gauntlet? We have a gauntlet of TV shows, including an entire season of Luke Cage.
0: Hey, this is Drew Powell from Gotham on Fox. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Well, hopefully you got your snacks and drinks ready, boys and girls, because we have a ton of geek taming to get to. And Nick, I think what we'll do is we'll start with the shows that had their premieres and then we'll move on to Luke Cage and let's start with Timeless. Now we're not going to go into this too, too deep, but we do want to review the show. Of course, you want to hear more information about the show in more detail. Go back to our interview with Sean Ryan and Eric Kripke last week, but I still want, because we didn't do any spoilers last week, let's get into what we liked about the show.
2: What I liked about the show is this is a show with consequence. As we saw with you know, you mentioned you know with Eric and Sean, what they mentioned was they want to make time travel fun again. You don't want to make it bleak. Well, as we saw in Back to the Future, time travel carries, of course, different consequences with it. And we saw at the end, yeah, you may have uh, the whole thing with the Hindenburg you know went down, but there's something that happened because of that.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, I think this is a major spoiler alert. By the way, all of these will contain spoilers as our reviews always do. So just keep that in mind if you're a first time listener to the show. Uh, Abigail Spencer's character, Lucy Preston. You hear, you see her interacting with her sister earlier on in the show, and oh, guess what? Now because of this whole Hindenburg thing, even though they fixed it, her sister was never born.
2: And not only that, but her mother is alive.
1: alive Yeah, alive and moving around. So I mean, it's. I did not see that coming at the end. That was a punch to the gut that you don't usually get in a first episode of a show. And right. I love how they're doing that. And now that we know they're going to each new sections of time, like the next episode's going to be about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, right. you know that each thing, even if they are able to keep certain things from occurring you never know what could change and change the timeline so this show is really going to constantly keep you on edge and keep you constantly looking for things that might have changed
2: and here's the thing that you mentioned they're going to be going into the whole death of abraham lincoln and that presents with it a challenge do we let john wilkes booth shoot him because this is of course abraham lincoln do we let it happen what not but also there could be a repercussion could it be where if they save Abraham Lincoln, remember he was the reason why they did the whole preservation of the body because they took his body around the U.S. and stuff like that, mm-hmm. kind of like a uh, traveling museum. So, if if you save him, do you does that not happen? Like, do people not right. have funerals anymore? Right? Like, and you think is that not is that a big deal? Well, yeah, it's kind of a big deal because you don't know
1: there there are other things that could not happen because of that. And but the other thing that I love about this show too. Even though you're dealing with fiction, you're also dealing with actual events. I remember when we were at Awesome Con, and we were going into one of the after parties, we were standing literally right outside Ford's Theater. Right. And you can't help but you know get a little emotional thinking about that. Even though you didn't live through that time, you know how great of a man Abraham Lincoln was. So even though this is based in fiction, <laughs> the the real-life feeling real. about do you do this or not is there.
2: Before we move on to the next show, I just want to give a little bit of a, a thing. Since you mentioned the Ford Theater when we were in D.C., back in june so james and i went of course to the uh, party at hard rock uh for awesome con and <laughs> we're outside of fort cedar and the entire time james is at the party he looks like he's like strickland I was. From back to the future he's totally just standing was. in the back corner like hands on hips just like like a chaperone at a middle school dance i don't dance
1: let's just put it that way I don't dance so I was that guy and I I don't think I was the oldest person there but I was pretty close and I was the guy standing in the corner like those damn kids (laughs) (laughs) with their gyrating hips and And your complicated shoes (laughs) (laughs) and your laser lights (laughs) (laughs) why are there bubbles I don't understand
2: this (laughs) (laughs) well you know speaking of, of lasers you know, let's go to lightning and of course speaking of lightning we talk about the flash and Of course, Flashpoint is in full effect. Now, here's the thing. I want to address this real quick. People are saying, oh, Flashpoint only lasts uh, an episode. Are you kidding me? It's like, no, it's going to last throughout the entire season or at least a good three-quarters of the season. It's just that certain things are going to be affected.
1: Think about it. When you break something that, let's say you break a porcelain plate on the floor, even if it breaks in big pieces and you're trying to glue it together, there still could be those small little pieces on the floor that you completely forgot about and vacuumed up, and once you get everything together, you go, oh, there's a little section missing. That's That's going to be Flashpoint. You never really know if it's totally fixed. I mean, jump right into the episode, again, full of spoilers, where I I don't want to jump to the end here, but you think it's fixed, and then all of a sudden you get back, everything's back to normal, right? Wrong.
2: Exactly, of course, you know, Iris and Joe aren't talking anymore, apparently. Uh, we don't know why. But also, you know, go back to the Flashpoint world. I mean, you have Eobar Thawne in that, in that cage there, yep. in that cell. And he's telling Barry, like, hey, with every time you use your speed, you forget who you are. Your past memories uh, are erased. And sooner or later, you're going to forget that you are the Flash. And I just want to say that. I love that version of Kid Flash that we got.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, Wally looks amazing. I mean, in the in the Kid Flash shoot. And the attitude is there. I love that. So I'm hoping that we get to see that in the quote-unquote actual world as well when he starts interacting with Barry and, and actually becomes Kid Flash. But i got to give a tip of the cat to Matt Lesher, man, the guy that plays Reverse Flash. This is the guy that's finally gotten a chance to open up and be reverse flash. Cause you know, right. the, the whole Harrison Wells thing, this is his first real opportunity to, to see our first real opportunity to see him as reverse flash. And he was amazing.
2: He was great. And I want to go back to that scene. Of course, they show the night that Nora Allen died. And just, I mean, you want to talk about a guy who just grabs a screen in that scene, that's mm-hmm. him, because Barry, of course, knocks Reverse Flash out of the way, saying, you're never going to kill her again. And all of a sudden, look who shows up again. And it's just that look of mm-hmm. a horror. And again, you think everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. But then there are a little, as you said, kind of like with a, with a porcelain plate. There are fractures. There are pieces missing. And it's going to be interesting to see what is affected Going forward. Now, I will say this. It did not blow me away. Everything with the rival did not blow me away. No, I wasn't uh, a fan. It was a solid premiere. I will say that, yeah. though. Uh, and then, of course, now we're not giving ratings because it's we're going to do that more when we do these ends of the seasons because we want to rate them on a whole, not right. just on a premiere. Right. So let's move on to Arrow
1: yeah, man, I mean arrow as I, mean, I know we're not giving ratings, but after the way Arrow ended last season, oh yeah, I mean, uh, it was just one of those things where you're going, okay, what are they gonna do? Where are you gonna go? And then we find out you're kind of gonna do the reset. With a new team and everything. And I gotta tell you, the vibe, even early on in the episode, I'm like, this is gonna work.
2: The vibe in it, I got a little bit of a season one feel, season yeah, two feel yeah. of Arrow, where Oliver is, you know, he's talking about killing. He's like, cause there's a line that Oliver says where he talks about when he killed Damian Dark. And he said, you know, there was a point where I had to realize that Malcolm Merlin was right, that the only way that, you know, justice and stuff like that will prevail. In such a crooked society is by killing the person who intends to inflict harm on a city.
1: It was funny because it was abrupt too. Like when he were in that warehouse and he just starts shooting dudes when he was Oliver Queen, the actual mayor. Uh, And he just starts capping guys and, and putting them down and breaking that guy's neck. And you're like, whoa. Yeah. Wait a minute! What, what what just happened? And then he has a whole interaction with Thea, and you're like, "Wow, I didn't, you know, you, you after he kills Damien Dark, you didn't really think that he was just going to go back to, like you said, season one, Oliver." But we also got to find out what Laurel said to Oliver in the finale, or and the uh, the episode where she died,
2: right? And that's the thing is that you get that secret of Laurel, and she says, "You know, don't let me be the last black canary." Now. This brings in a very interesting idea that we had last night. We actually tweeted about it last night as well. Uh, we think that Laurel, of course, dying, leaves a big hole in Team Arrow. Granted, you're going to have Mr. Terrific and uh, Wild Dog and stuff like that in there as well that join the team. But there's still that, that hole that's left. And we think, hey, Robert Queen's coming back for Episode 100, and so is Deathstroke. Could we get Amiko Queen? This yeah, season.
1: I I think we really could. I mean, it just makes sense and there's a void there for Oliver, no matter how much uh you want to try and get around it. And there's and usually it's 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 Amiko that has filled that void. Now remember, she's poisoned against him at first, so I wouldn't be surprised if they do bring her in, he gets that again punched to the gut of, you know, I thought you were my sister and now or he doesn't even find out that uh that's his sister early on, actually. So and now there's another person that we've... We said like a year and a half ago, we think Shadow's still alive, for one. And for two, how about this, to try this on for size? Remember we had Komodo earlier on in Arrow. That was a cheap version of Komodo. I don't think that was the real, no. true Komodo. And who poisons Emiko against Oliver? Komodo Komodo Shadow. Does.
2: And that's the thing, is that if you go on Google and you type in Komodo, you know, from Green Arrow, of course... The suit looks a lot like Komodo. Yep. And it really does. Now, who is Komodo? We don't know. We we can't guess. Now, we think we know who it is. And you actually had an interesting point about this character.
1: Well, now, think about this. We know that Flashpoint is going to be affecting the other shows. And by Komodo, by the way, we mean the archer that was there at the end of the episode, in case you're wondering who the hell we're talking about. Um, but... You see a scene where Diggle and Oliver are talking, and then you flash forward to Felicity. She's gone home, and she's, there's another guy. It's Detective Malone. You might have recognized him uh, from past season. Here's the deal, and I texted you this earlier. I said, what if because of Flashpoint, Oliver and Felicity's relationship never happened? Now,
2: I think that it did because I could have sworn there was a line where Diggle talked about the relationship between he and Felicity and stuff like that. Uh, I'm I'm talking by he, I mean Oliver. I think that right now where we are in the season of Arrow is we're not at the point where Flashpoint has actually taken place yet.
1: But think about it, though. Think about the uh, interactions between Felicity and Oliver during this show. This True. There weren't. there wasn't really a lot of hints, there wasn't really a lot of sadness there, I mean, no, but again, they kind of
2: getting towards a moving on point. Well, then again, they could have been also the writers saying, okay, people are sick and tired of the whole illicity thing, let's kind of put the kibosh on it and, and just move on.
1: And I totally get that too, but I'm just saying is that they didn't make it obvious that there was a break there. No. And I wondered why that is, because think about it, every other time that they've referenced this in past seasons, they've made it obvious. And for some reason they're leaving it a little bit open. I don't know if, I don't know if they're doing that because people like me are going to question it and it creates a dialogue or if or if this relationship actually never happened and if it didn't, where do you go from there?
2: Right. And also before we move on of course to Luke Cage as a character, of course we're having the actor who portrays him on this week is our guest. I'm talking of course Echo Kellum aka Curtis Holt aka soon to be Mr. Terrific. This was a an episode where he, I think, really asserted himself as a a, a, a potential serious member of Team Arrow in terms yeah. of of crime fighting because yeah. he he has that scene underneath the bridge where he's getting jumped. Yep, and he goes back to the the well, we'll say quiver cause that's what it's called in the comics. Uh, he goes back to the quiver and he just looks at it and says, you know, if you don't do this thing, then why why the hell do I have this? You know, stuff like that. So. He's kind of taking a stance as like, "Hey, if I go out there getting these scars, you're making me part of this goddamn team."
1: Yeah, and he—it's one of the rare moments where we get to see Curtis be serious, and I think that we're going to see that a little bit more. We're always going to get the lightheartedness. And you're always going to get the interaction. I actually like the interaction between he and Felicity. I think yeah. that works out really well. They just have a good chemistry together, but. Yeah, I think we're really seeing a more serious side of, of Curtis at this point that we really haven't seen. Maybe a little bit, a couple flashes of that we've seen it. But you're right. You know, he wants in now. But what are the consequences of that? You know, you want in, you want to make a difference. But, you know, is that going to affect his home life and stuff like that? So it'd be really interesting to see what we get going forward. I actually like, His interaction was Felicity, though, so I think that, you know, we're still going to get the off-color side, you're still going to get the humorous side, but, you know, yeah, when you get punched in the face, it kind of changes your perspective a little bit, and how are they going to interact with the team as well? Exactly, well,
2: speaking of getting punched in the face, the guy who gets punched in the face ends up breaking somebody's arm in the process of them punching in the face is Luke Cage. Now, of course... We are going to review the entire first season of Luke Cage. Not, We're not going to go episode by episode, but just, you know, of course, talk about what we like and stuff like that. Of course, Mike Coulter is back as Luke Cage. And I will say this. I want to start off by the with the opening credits. I love hip-hop, like old-school hip-hop. I love soul music. Now, some people will disagree, but I think this was the best opening of the three shows. I'm talking, of course, Daredevil and Jessica Jones. I think this was the best one, I think, in terms of music, because in the past two shows, I've skipped through the intros, I've gone like through three episodes while watching the entire intro, and I'm like, oh, okay, I've you know, skipped through to the credits and stuff like that. This one, I literally sat through every opening credit sequence throughout the 13 episodes.
1: I will say this, I love them all, I think they're all really great. I think that, I, I'm, I'm personally, I'm a fan of Jessica Jones by a little bit over this one. Um, but I think they're all good, man. I mean you want to talk about music, let's talk about it. I think that if you're talking about overall music that's been in any of these shows or in a lot of the other shows, as a matter of fact, this was the best soundtrack of any of the shows. I don't even think it's close.
2: No, it's not. And here's the reason why is because you have that nice mixture of live music when you're at Harlem's Paradise compared to when Luke puts in his headphones and you're hearing Wu-Tang Clan yep. and and, and, uh, and music like that. And also, you know, you're, every episode, I mean, you want to talk about music, every episode is titled after a gang star song.
1: Yep, exactly. And what I love is that in each, each different song that's played at, the, at Harlem's Paradise, the live music song, always sets the tone right. for the episode. And and it's always progressive, too. You always see it stepping up little by little, not as far as quality is concerned, but as far as tonality is concerned. You know that where you're going based on the music, and often the music is the soundtrack for scenes in an actual episode. But I think that more than any other show... This show specifically made sure that the music set the tone for each episode, and I love the way they weave that in. And I think that that just added to the authenticity of the show as a whole.
2: And I'm just going to say this: I love black exploitation films. I've said this on previous shows. I love it. It's one of my favorite forms. Of cinema. And I think that this entire series, from the location of Harlem to the camera angles to the music to some of the dialogue that was written in it, actually a lot of the dialogue that was written in it, yep. was really an ode to exploitation films. And that's what I think set it apart from a lot of the, of course, other two Marvel shows and even Marvel movies. It's just that the overall attitude that it brought was totally different.
1: Yeah, not only that, but I mean, this was kind of a different view of Harlem, wasn't it? It was a different angle. It was a different vibe, too, than a lot of the stuff that you see, especially with pop. And I think the pop character, even again, spoiler alerts here, even though he doesn't last very long, sets the tone for what they want Harlem to be. And I think that that was an underlying theme of, you know, kind of if you want something, you got to earn it, whether it be respect or your place in the city, anything like that. I love that they went with that angle.
2: And one thing I want to bring up, too, is that they brought up the community aspect of Harlem. Oh,
1: yeah.
2: They they brought up, you know, no matter who was on screen, we're talking about Harlem in a way of making it better. You know, this is a, a predominantly black historical area of New York. We need to preserve it and we need to, you know do away with the crime, make things better. And that's what I loved, is that every character, no if they were a villain or they were a good guy, they cared about Harlem in one way or the other.
1: Yeah, deep down, it was. it was funny how deep down, a lot of the characters, whether you said good or bad, cared about Harlem. Now, whether they were right or wrong in the way that they cared... Is is right. the, is a subject of how you arguing or how you go about it? Certainly, but let's talk about the villains for a second. Let's talk about the baddies because the funny thing is, is this is the first time we really had like a progression of villains. You know, going from Cottonmouth, and then of course you had Black Mariah and also Diamondback worked in there. And I mean, I guess you could throw
2: Shades in there too, right? Right, and I want to say this: of all the villains we've seen, I think in the MCU, this was really the set of villains. At least, I think the first set to where. They frustrated you, and oh, not in a God, bad yes. way. They frustrated you in the point where you're like, God, I really hope you get what's coming to you, mm-hmm. son of a bitch. Because <laughs> they are, so, you want to talk manipulative, these are the most manipulative villains of all time, I think, in the MCU that we've seen. And let's start off with Cottonmouth since you mentioned him. And, and it's funny because,
1: you know, Netflix in these shows has seemed to find a way to, to make you kind of want to feel sorry for the villains right. or kind of even root for them at certain times. I think they actually tried to do that with Cottonmouth and the flashbacks. We'll get to that a little bit later on the flashbacks worked so well in the show where they're just, where you see him and he's playing the piano and the keyboards. and He sounds so good. And it seems like you it really makes you feel like he was forced into this life as a child. So you kind of start to feel for him. And then he does something that's like, wait a minute, you're a son of a bitch. I'm not gonna root for you, and I don't feel sorry for you, kind of
0: thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, you hit on that too. Is that he was forced into it because you do get, you know, Mama Mabel, and and you do get that pass mm-hmm. where he was just, you know, his uncle wanted to put him like in an art school and and do piano. He, he didn't want him to be part of this whole life of crime. Next mm-hmm. thing you know, he's gotta kill his uncle, yep. and you know, when he's a teenager, and he gets wrapped up in this whole. World of crime and stuff like that, and yeah, he is a psychopath. I mean, that scene when I mean, you see in the trailer, that scene where he's pounding the guy's fucking oh, face. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, that was that was bad,
2: dude. Yeah, and he I just kind of wipes his face and moves on with his life. I just want to say this: somebody actually made it's like forty six seconds a supercut of all his laughs. Really?
1: Yeah. Well, wow, that's to. that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, and, and, I mean, again, uh, uh, Ali did a great job of playing Cottonmouth. And then, of course, there is his cousin, Black Mariah, of course played by Alfie Woodard, and goddamn, you want a 180, you want something for a villain to do that gets them to that point, to where they're not just, in her case, just a politician? You want to get her to become Black Mariah? God damn! Did they fucking set it up? I'm gonna tell you what, man. We're
1: pretty good at this, and we can usually see when stuff is coming. I'll be honest, man. When she was up there with 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 uh, Cottonmouth, and it all went down, and she kills him,
2: I did not see that coming. Where she just snapped. And I think that that's the thing too, is that she just snaps and she becomes. Black Mariah, she comes at this whole 180 thing. For her, that was her point, of course, of not coming back and not being able to go back and turn back.
1: Right, and then you've got the whole thing where she's at her desk and she sees the picture of Mama Mabel and says, I'm not you, and puts the picture down. And then you're like, ah, you kind of are. You You might be a little smarter. You might be a little smarter,
2: more conniving, but yeah, you are. Yeah, you you very much are. And that's the thing is that also, remember, you have your favorite character, Shades. Man. You know, pushing her a little bit, poking her stomach like, hey, you know, I want to be this, you need to do this or whatever. You know, he he is that devil on her shoulder pretty much. And, I mean, again, she – the reason why I think Mariah was mostly the most frustrating villain was because crooked politician, you expect her – to, you know, something. like There's got to be a point where she's going to trip up. There's got to be a point. Damn. She's in the interrogation room. She, you know, Miss Tonight pulls up all that shit on her. But yet, no. And yep. it fucking angers me. But it rightfully angers me, though. Like, it's like, God damn. You drag
1: somebody through a river of shit in a white suit, and they come out looking like they just jumped out jumped <laughs> out of a tub of Clorox. It's ridiculous how she always came out clean. Now, you want to talk about shades for a second? Man, did I want to punch that dude in his risky business dollar store wearing shades face <laughs> throughout most of the show. I was like, dude, you didn't do anything throughout almost the entire not until like the last episode and a half did he actually get his hands dirty at all but i realized that's his that was his role but man was it frustrating because all he did was poke everybody to kind of go after each other
2: right and that's what he was he was the shit starter he was again to use the analogy again he was the guy going in the hallway you know this person's talking shit about your mom. Yeah. You know, this person says they can beat your ass. Yeah. You know, this person thinks they got more power than hold over you, even though you're a politician and stuff like that. And then that leads, of course, and the thing with Cottonmouth and Black Mariah killing him is there was a certain point when people were kind of upset about this on social media, like, Oh, how could you kill him? He was so good. There was a certain point where he wasn't really a threat to Luke no, Cage. Not at all. There was a, there was a point where I felt that in his arc alone, You did all they could. They did all they could. You know, Cheo, you know, who of course is a shower, did all he could with Cottonmouth. Not only that, but
1: I I kind of, and maybe I'm crazy, I kind of get the feeling that if it got to the point where Cottonmouth had
2: to take out Luke Cage, I don't know if he could have done it. And that's the thing, is that remember there was a scene where Luke Cage, you know, we see in the trailer and there's that big, you know, they love their hallways Netflix does, so of course he's in the the Mm -hmm. annex there. You know, Here's the thing, is and this is what I liked about the writing, is that in, in Mafia movies or just movies where there's power involved, a guy like Cottonmouth loses all that money, all those weapons, everything else, he's weak. He's weak, the leader is weak, and that's when the person comes and takes it, and of course Mariah killed him, for, of course he's mentions about the past and how she won the uncle and stuff like that, yeah. and everything else like that, and, and, and kind of insinuated about her past and everything. And that's why her off to, to go off on him. But you look at like, okay, he's losing his power. He, he's weak, you know. And then that, of course, brings in Diamondback. Now, I want to say this. People, of course, are going to say, well, Diamondback was very, you know, caricature and everything else. He had to be because of his past. So, you know, illegitimate son of a preacher, of course. He's Luke Cage's half-brother, as mm-hmm. you find out later on in the season. Listen, and as you mentioned... You know, being neglected by a parent is one of the most toughest things for a person, and especially yep. a child, to withstand with and, and go through. And so he was driven insane. The way I see I see Diamondback, he was driven insane by jealousy of Luke Cage. Not only that, but you t- he talked about his dad
1: being a very animated preacher, which we didn't really get to see in the show, but, you know, you go based on description. So you take what he saw from his father who ignored him, and then you put that in with the whole mental aspect of him being ignored by him, but still looking up to him in a, in a strange way, and therein he becomes a
2: caricature of his father, but an evil version of it. It's like kind of like an idol thing. Like, he idolizes his father even though... I think he idolized the thought of being with his father more than he idolized his father himself. Yeah. He wanted to, because that's why you know, he's, he had the, the book, he had the whole Bible thing and everything's all highlighted and everything's filled out. Especially when you see someone right there in front of you having a father figure – that you
1: don't have that you feel like you should have. Right. That is another again. You want to talk about poking the bear, but not you know literally. I mean that that's enough to drive you insane right there. So in a way, I think that he kind of becomes a caricature of himself in a way, and and
2: that's why I don't see anything wrong with it. And remember, there's that scene where he's teaching Luke how to box, and he's saying, mm-hmm. you know, you're a Lucas, I'm a striker. Like, mm-hmm. he's jealous. He's like, you have the name that I need. You have the name that I want. But because I'm an illegitimate child, because what my mother did with your father, and we know we're half-brothers, you know, I can't have that. That is my birthright. He felt he is rejected. He felt that he was. he, he was, you know had that birthright taken away in that name. And that is the other
1: straw that breaks the camel's back. It wasn't just that he took away the life that he could have had with his father. He took away his mother's life that he feels like he could have had because he was going to leave his mother, Luke Cage's mother, for his mother. Right. And then that got taken away. and We heard what happened to his mom dying alone and all that stuff. So, I mean, you add all these things up and enter
2: Diamondback. And then, of course, you had the thing where he got the suit. Now, people are saying, like, oh, the suit is so stupid. It's in the comics. That's what he wore in the comics. If you look at a picture of Diamondback in the comics, it's exactly what he looked like. The mm-hmm. helmet was added on because the helmet, I think, needed to be added on. Oh, yeah. But switching from the villains, I mean, there's the whole thing with the doctor as well, who's a dirty son of a bitch as well. Yeah. But, you know, focusing back on Luke Cage... Um, Mike Coulter did a great thing. I think that the dynamic between him and Small Mystic's Misty Knight was great. We, of course, got to see her full-on Misty Knight costume with with even bigger hair at the end, uh, which was great. And they were kind of teasing with a whole bullet in the arm, kind of cybernetic arm. Her might be losing her arm and stuff like that, so they teased that a little bit. Uh, They got a little bit of a a tease of Iron Fist as well, I believe Mm -hmm. with Colleen Wing. Yep. And and we're going to talk more about Iron Fist later on in Nerd News. But I think that you look at this dynamic and Again, him being in prison, him being falsely accused, Diamondback being the reason why he went to prison, and just the underground fight scenes with him being there and how he got chosen to be tested on, stuff like that, even though it was more to save his life. Again, I think you felt this. I just want to say this, this has to be said about the social angle. You know, We see a lot of things, and this has to be said, a lot of things with cops shooting people who are African-American. We mm-hmm. see that, and it's, it's, hor- it's horrifying. This, I think, is a show that we needed now. With the type of culture and climate we have, this was a show we needed. A bulletproof black man who can walk the streets and, and, and just be that, that, that symbol. You know what I'm saying? And Everything none of that, the social.
1: but it, there was a point where at, at some point the cops had faith yeah. in him. And they, and they were very much you know, in control. Now, there was a time where there, there was a loss of control and it was all, it was also the African-American cops in there as well. Right. Uh, everybody started losing control. But the other thing I liked about this show is, is you want to talk about the social aspect. There was a message that gets sent in this yes. that doesn't get sent a lot and it's that you got to earn your place. You got to earn respect. You got to earn the things that you are and always, full, always forward, never backwards, like Pop said. Yes. And, and just having respect earning respect. And if you want something, you got to earn it. Nothing, nothing should be handed to you. That was also very much a part of this. And I think that that was something that they snuck in there that was very, very important. I mean, you you saw the stuff, there's been stuff on social media saying that this is a conservative leaning show. I don't think I'd go that far. I think it, but it sends them, it sends a message that I think needs to be sent right now too. And I would add that onto what you said.
2: Yeah, and, I, and I, you look at the soul at, the, at society as a whole. Like I said, what people are going through now, what we as a society are going through right now. Um, again, this was a show that needed to be done. This was a show that they had certain elements in there where you know they showed both the good and the bad side. You can't have one side, or else you know you got to show the other side as right. well. And I think they did a really good job of that. And I think that, you know, with that being said, I think we should give our ratings. You know, we talked about Missy Knight. We talked about, you know, quickly Rosario Dawson getting a lot more screen time oh, than yeah. she's had in all the Marvel things. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I believe they're going to carry her over. Uh, I believe the plan was either going to have her on, like, every Marvel thing. Like, you know, she's going to be part of Iron Fist and then she's going to be part of Defenders as well. Um, but I liked that they expanded on her character as well. And that being said, let's give our ratings for Luke Cage and if you want to go first feel free I mean I gotta tell you this was
1: one that I, I always I always thought was going to be good from start to finish I think it actually exceeded my expectations a little bit even though I thought it was going to be really good I mean the way that they just represented Harlem and the community and the way that they kind of poked fun at the old Luke Cage costume and the way yes. that they brought him along gradually and you had that doubt and you had well does my community believe in me yes they do no, they don't and the pulling back and forth and you've got a character like scarf that you throw in there we we forgot to mention him and you put that aspect but still the the community at times didn't trust the police and then at times they did and then they were told that they should by people in the community there was just so many things about this show not just from the comic aspect that they got right but to send a message to society which is something that often pop culture does and shows like this can do that I think was really important. I think that makes this maybe the most important Netflix show that there's been so far, and right up there with Daredevil. So I got to give this 10
2: sweet Christmases out of 10. Nice. Okay, so really quick, the thing about Iron Fist is that, of course, we got news that it's coming out in March, and that's going to be pretty cool. So, you know, I think they said that every six months they want to release new Marvel things. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. I think it's set up nicely going into Iron Fist. I will say this. I like the fact that at the end the bad guys did not get what they deserved. Yeah, they that we get Luke Cage. He's he's figured it out. They figure out who he is. He's Carl Lucas. He's going back to prison, and he's got to figure that thing out again. And it's be interesting him being actually having the powers and going back to prison, see how that affects the defenders and and season two of Luke Cage and so yep. on and so forth. I love the music. The music really I think captured the spirit, the essence of Harlem and Luke Cage and just, again, the black exploitation films of, of the, you know, back in the day. Uh, the acting, I think, was really good. The chemistry was really great. The villains, again, I think these are the best villains I think we've gotten in a Marvel property. Everybody complains about the Marvel villains. I think these are some of the best uh, because of how they're written, how manipulative they are. I'm going to give this 10 out of 10, the afros that deflect all the bullshit.
1: <laughs>
2: and, this, and this show certainly did. Exactly. If you want to hear about that reference, of course, go back and listen to our interview with Simone Mystic, of course, who played Miss Knight on Luke Cage. That's going to do it for a very extended geek tainment. But come up next, Nerd News is going to cut down a couple of things. And hey, guess what? We now know a lot more about Wolverine 3, or should I say Logan? That's coming up next on the Down Nerdy Podcast.
0: This is comic book editor and co-writer Dara Savage, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Well, nerds, is that time where we get out of our animantium baths and we look at what's trending around the interweb because it's time for what, James? Nerd, Nerd News! And our first story, of course, is I tease at the end of our big-ass Geektainment segment. We finally know... Wolverine three is no more. It's now called Logan. I think that this means we're going to finally get the old man Logan that people have mm-hmm. been clamoring for, James. And also, we got a little bit of a look at the script and just an idea of what's going to happen as well as well as a beautiful poster. I know it's not the hand of Deadpool he's holding. I think that's X twenty three.
1: Yeah, I think that was that was one. Of the, Ryan Reynolds won the internet again when he did that. That was just absolutely perfect. He said, "That's actually my hand." That he's holding. But I mean, X-23, I think that that is exactly what they're going to do. I mean, you mentioned Weapon X. We were talking about that and how they have his blood. And I mean, where else do you think you're going to go with that? And maybe we were talking about this off the air about X-23, maybe going to take up the mantle after Hugh Jackman steps yeah. away. And I think that that would be perfectly fine. I mean, obviously, I think that there there's a fraction of us that would love to see a different Wolverine this time in the yellow suit and the mask. But I'd be okay with X-23. I actually
2: like the character. And here's the thing, too, is you know, they, they tease, kind of, they actually send out a page of the script. Here's just more of a description of why everything is now. So Wolverine, as we know, if you've seen The Wolverine, uh, had a lot of his healing factor taken out now, you know, because from Silver Samurai and stuff like that. So they're saying, like, hey, you know, when he ejects his claws, it hurts like a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, always, we always knew, like, of course, from the first X-Men movie, you know, they, it hurts when they come out, but you never show it. But now we're going to see... It's gonna really physically hurt him when they come out, mm-hmm. and, and you know. And one thing that they said about this movie too, especially with the director, uh, what he said was, you know, James Mangold, who was directing this movie, he said, "This isn't gonna be like the Marvel movies you see, where somebody falls a million stories and then there's like a backflip and lands and they're fine." And he's like, if you if people get hit by a car in this, they feel it. You fall from a building, you feel it. You get punched. You feel it. This isn't like springboarding up from a giant fall. And that's what I like. I like that they want to go with a sense of realism in this. You know, it has the R rating. Why the hell not, you know? And I think that because of that, that's what's going to
1: make the movie darker. And that's what's going to make it a little bit more, uh, I guess, painful is the only word that you can use to describe it. And I think it's going to be mental pain and physical pain. And then, of course, we've got Professor X, which is going to be there in there as well. And Patrick Stewart has said, hey. This is going to be a very different Professor X than what you're used to as well. So I think that everybody is going to have a very sullen tone in this movie for most of it. And if the pain's going to be real, I think having that R rating in there is going to just make it even – ramp it up even more. I'm just picturing
2: Patrick Stewart sitting there. Do you remember when Wolverine was part of my academy? Pepperidge Farm remembers. (laughs) Weathers?
1: <laughs> <laughs> just walking around, well, well, just wheeling around in this case, just trying to hand everybody worth originals.
2: <laughs> he's got like a, he's got like in his coat pocket, he's got the like little strawberry hard candies that like all the old people in America and the yeah, world have. Much. And they're still like the best
1: candies ever. <laughs> got right, they are. You see, you see those little stupid strawberry wrappers, and
2: you're like, ah, oh, I just, <laughs> I have to eat this. I don't know why. But, uh, you know, of course, Mr. Sinister is going to be in it as well. And, I mean, I'm excited to know that, hey, this is Logan. This is more like going to be old man Logan because, you know, in the script, in the description of the script, it's like he's old now. You know, he's, he, he, he you know, whatever. And it's going to affect him. So it's going to be really interesting to see. Now, before we move on to our next story, the one character I was still, still, because he's my favorite X-Men villain. I want to see Omega Red in the fucking X Men movie.
1: I don't think that's too far off. I don't think that that's necessarily not going to happen because Brian Singer has said in the past he does have an affinity for that character. So I do think that we will see him eventually. But the only thing that you should be afraid of, and I think you are, is that if the X Men movies don't continue to be good,
2: right? At the
1: what point? The best. Yeah, at what point do you just go? Ah, you know, maybe we just need to start from scratch and what happens when you start from scratch? You get the same villains over again. Just like in every time we do we restart Batman, you know you're going to see the Joker again eventually because you can't not do it. Just like right. if you redo X-Men, you can't not have Magneto and you're going to have to start from scratch all over again. So this ha- this movie has to work, and then leading into the next X-Men movie, I think that one, after Apocalypse, has to be successful as well, because just because Days of Future Past was so good, doesn't mean you can just rest on your laurels on that and expect
2: to keep going. Yeah, I mean, Apocalypse, I don't think was good at all. I don't think it was a great movie. Moving on to our final story of Nerd News. You know, DC loves teaming up, at least recently, with other publishers. You know, of course, Batman, Team that you mentioned earlier, and what we're reading, and, you know, it it was IDW. Well, now, guess what? They're teaming up with Boom Studios and Green Lantern and the Planet of the Apes, and, of course, another crossover I want to mention, of course, Green Lantern, because this is another crossover between a publisher with Green Lantern, because remember, we had Star Trek Green Lantern Cross, I believe it was about a year ago, which I loved. I thought it was great.
1: And let's keep this in mind. Because of that, remember, they also had a Star Trek... Planet of the Apes crossover recently as well. Right. Will those worlds kind of collide a little bit in February Ooh. 2017?
2: Will we see will we see Caesar as a red lantern? Or will we see
1: and will we see maybe some callbacks to that Star Trek Planet of the Apes series and Green Lantern um, and Green Lantern Star Trek series? Maybe they'll kind of play off of each other a little bit because now those worlds are kind of intertwining or maybe they'll ignore it entirely either way. This just seems like something that works, you know. It seems like you go back to the original Star Trek series when you find an undiscovered planet and you go investigate it, and so it feels like that's the kind of vibe you can get. And why not show up on the Planet of the Apes?
2: Right. And here's the thing, too, is of course now people want to know when is this coming out. Well, of course it's coming out February of 2017, so next year. So in a few months it's going to be coming out. And it's going to be a six. Issue series. Well, I like, I mean, of course, it's not going to be an ongoing thing, but I, lo- I think six issues is perfect for oh, yeah. this. Um, Again, I think, you know, you, going back, even though it was an IDW thing, the Green Lantern Star Trek crossover there, it was interesting to see Chekhov as a Blue Lantern. It was interesting to see, you know, uh, I believe the Romulans, I believe, were orange lanterns They or were yellow lanterns. They were one of the two. Uh, and then you had, of course, I think like this Prince character, I can't remember because it was so long ago since I read it, he was a Red Lantern. So it was really interesting to see where do the rings go. Again... Where are the rings going to go with Planet of the Apes? Yep, because you know what's
1: going to happen. You can't not do that. So that's going to happen at some point. Either way, I expect Caesar to fuck shit up. Oh, man, that's going to be so interesting. And how they deal with him. Yeah. You know that? I mean, I see Spock and him, at least mentally, just facing off a great deal. So I think that just the mental aspect of that is going to be great. But how they deal with... With the with the planet of the apes, I think it's going to be really interesting. And are we going to see some of the apes sympathize with the humans of Star Trek? And of course, the the Vulcan is Vulcan side as well. Maybe.
2: Yeah, I mean that's the thing too. Is is you look at at you know s- possibilities of who will become a Star Sapphire, who will become a Green Lantern, a Blue Lantern, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. I'm I mean, I'm just looking at this and just the the release of it, and it it really is. Pretty interesting. Now, going to be, of course, interesting to see. I think that, you know, I have an idea. I mean, remember, this isn't the first time that Boom and, and DC have come together. They've done Lumberjames and Gotham Academy mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, but what's going to be interesting to see is who do they have as a creative team behind this? Yeah, That's, because now we're recording this before New York
1: Comic Con, so they might announce it. At New York Comic Con, we want to let you know that just so we have a little housekeeping stuff here. We will be talking about a lot of stuff coming out from New York Comic Con on next week's show. We'll give you a little bit of recap and nerd news there as well. But I do think it's going to be really interesting who's going to be the creative team on this. And i got to be honest, Carlos Magno for art, that name jumps out at me. I mean, working on uh, Kong Skull Island. I mean, I don't want to get the ape theme going here, but the guy loves the genre. And why not put him
2: on art? Get, I mean, he's. A, I think this is what's going to do. I think they're. Here's what I think they're going to do. I think you're going to have one somebody who's known for boom. Uh, you bring up Carlos; he'd be a great choice because he's doing you know Con now. It's great. Uh, they're going to have. I think somebody would be the writer from DC. Yeah. So I really would love. I know he, cause he's our boy. He's a friend of ours. Carlos Magno and Sam Humphreys. Ooh, I could see that. I got because I could really see Humphreys writing Star Trek.
1: Yeah. I could see that working really, really well. I think that would be a good team-up, actually. And, you know, uh, Sam, no stranger to Boom Studios does Jonesy over there, so... Yeah. Hey.
2: hey. You know,
1: there's already a connection well, there, he's fellas.
2: Got, he's got the Green Lanterns thing. Granted, it's not with Hal Jordan, but still, he we know he, he yep. can write the Lanterns really yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, even, even Venditti, you know, isn't bad because, you know, he's doing the Hal Jordan Green Lantern Corps, which I, I'm really digging because he brought it back to, I think, the, what it needed to be uh, all along with them going as a Sinestro Corps. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be really, really interesting to see what they're going to do.
1: It just depends but, on how heavy they want to make it, you know. If right. you're going to make it heavy, then, you know, it's, if you want to make it a little bit more lighthearted, I think that will kind of make a decision
2: as to what the creative team is going to be. Right, exactly. That's going to do it for Nerd News. But come up next, Tech Talk, tech talk Mind Numbing Tech Talk. That's right. We're going to be talking Arrow, Curtis Holt, Mr. Terrific, with Echo Kellum himself. Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy coming up next.
1: This is Anamia, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Getting you ready for Arrow season five in a pretty terrific way because we've got the guy who plays Curtis Holt on the show this season. It's Echo Kellum. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How about
0: yourself?
1: Doing pretty good. Now, before we dive on to, into what's going on with your character in this upcoming season, I know that you've all have been working on Arrow's upcoming 100th episode recently. I know you can't talk spoilers or anything like that, but what has the vibe like been like on set, and what's that experience been like?
0: I mean, dude, it's been a great vibe. You know, everyone is so humble and, like, absolutely professional, and I, I like to think that our show, you know set the precedent on how to, you know, treat people and when they come in and stuff like that. And I really think that stems from Stephen Amell, you know, because he's just such a welcoming force and, like, so fun to be around. And I think it's just an infectious feeling that all the actors get when we get to be together, especially in this 100th episode, because it's such a blessing to get to 100 episodes on any TV show and we're just still having the most fun and, you know, just really going all out is great.
2: Echo, everybody loves a promotion. You, of course, were upgraded to being a serious regular. So when you got the news, where were you and what was that moment like for you?
0: You know, I was at Heroes and Villains Fan Fest in um, Chicago. I did my first ever convention in my hometown of Chicago. And that's when I found out that they wanted to do that. And it was, like, so surreal to be at Heroes and Villains Fan Fest and to get that news, that moment. I just, like pitch myself like what in life, you know, and so it's just, I'm so excited to be a part of such a dope show to actually get to play a superhero and like, always oh, been one of my dreams as a kid and to actually fulfill it on a meaningful show with a really great character, Bullet David, is pretty great.
1: Absolutely. Let's talk about Curtis then. I mean, in the trailers, we've seen him talk about being part of the team and actually being questioned by Oliver even into last season as well. So, even though he stepped up in a big way last season, how would you describe his relationship with Oliver early on in the season?
0: You know, I think they have a relationship of mutual respect. And I think, I'm, and I definitely know Curtis admires Oliver in the Green Arrow. You know, as far as Curtis is concerned, he wanted to help humanity and Star City and all that stuff for years, and so to see the Green Arrow going out there actively every day, putting his life on the line to help people is something that Curtis, you know, definitely gels with. And I think Oliver's having a mutual respect and admiration for him, too, but also being tough on him to make sure that he understands that it's not a game, that being out in those streets can kill you, and it's very dangerous, so I think you'll see... A, lot, a little bit of that sensei, pupil aspect, but I think uh, Curtis will tease all over a few things,
2: too. So. Echo, one of the most fun scenes from last season, of course, was when you and Felicity's dad were actually hacking together. How much fun did you have filming that scene, and what are some things that you learned about Curtis after filming it?
0: Man, Mendez is so great. You know, like, I used to see him on, oh, what, was that? what was that show when I was a kid that filmed in Chicago, The Untouchables or something like that? Yeah, yeah it was, it was like, that, yeah. It's crazy. It's so crazy to get to work with him man. and he's so dope and we did this video, this Snapchat video where he sang the song Moolah, which is like this hardcore rap song it was so <laughs> 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 Wow. I think like, I think Curtis is like, you know, for him that moment of getting to work with one of the dopest hackers in the entire world been known in the dark web all these years was like just very awesome and fulfilling. And it's, you know, like I said, it was exactly what Curtis wanted to be doing, helping save the world from nuclear annihilation and, you know, just be there and be a hero. And I think that moment like really stuck with him. And he just really looks up to that and his relationship with Felicity and how it can foster them and do great things together.
1: Now, Echo, you talked about being in Chicago for Heroes and Villains Fan Fest. Looks like you were in Vegas recently, so how do you think Curtis Holt would be different from Echo Kellum in Vegas?
0: Oh, uh, man. You know, Curtis would have probably tried, because I went to the iHeart uh, Radio Festival, so Curtis would have probably been trying to get up with the roadies and, like, make sure all the tech is set up properly. <laughs> like, like, like that, but, like Kanye or Drake or whoever. You know, but uh, I think Curtis would have loved it. I think him and Paul would have went together and just jammed out, walked out to some Tears for Fears, and 21 Pilots, they would have they loved that. And, dude, 21 Pilots uh, annihilated. I, I, I heard their songs was not familiar with them, but their presence, their show, man, they killed it. They were so great. Yeah,
2: I've kind of never heard of them until Suicide Squad, because they have a song on there, yeah, which is, yeah. is great. So, I mean, that'd that be, that be a blast for you. And also, I mean, you recently posted a picture on your Instagram of you fake laughing with John Stamos and Taylor Lautner. So i got to ask you this, Echo. Who's one famous person that could intimidate you into fake laughing at their jokes, no matter how bad the jokes are?
0: Oh, man, you know what? Jim Carrey... Because really? he was wow. literally my childhood idol, so I don't care what he... I don't think I would be fake laughing, though, because, like, he could say the, and I would think that was funny, just because <laughs> they like, grew up loving every single aspect about his movies, and Living Color was the first thing I started watching that really made me 100% be like, I have to be a comedian actor, I have to do this, you know what I'm saying? Like, I want to do sketches, I want to be characters, I want to be all that stuff, so... I just admire him so much that, like, I, w- I would have to fake laugh, if not real laugh at everything he
2: says. See, see I would fake laugh like Mike Tyson, because, like, he would hurt me, but, I mean, I have one arm, yeah, so I right, with two arms.
0: Intimidate. I... Oh, right. Intimidating. Oh, crap. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm going to have to say Vladimir Putin, then. To... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll probably that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> I think we can all agree on that, actually. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Speaking of laughs, though, one of the things that uh, from, the, from the trailer at Comic-Con that had us laughing was when you see Curtis training for combat, and he falls off the salmon ladder. So are there any more comedic moments like that that we can expect in the upcoming season? And how serious is this training yeah. going to be?
0: I mean, it definitely is more serious than last year, for sure. They're really getting back to the uh, nitty-gritty aspect of it. But Curtis is Curtis, man, so he's still going to be doing little funny weird barbs here and there. I, you know, I just saw probably a couple little parts from episode three because I was doing ADR for it. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very critical of myself as an actor and stuff like that, like, in a in a positive way, though. I'm not like, you suck, but I'm like, you can be better, you can do that better, you can be more engrossed than I've seen, stuff like that. And I was watching these little clips, and I was actually cracking up with some of the stuff they allow Curtis to do in some of these moments. And I think Stephen Amell, he tweeted about that. He's like, Echo made me crack up like four times episode three. And I think you'll see that Curtis still will bring some of that light, even though it's still dark, you know?
2: Yeah, that's why I just want to ask you about that, Echo. Uh, you know, how important is it, not only just as an actor, but just as somebody uh, in, in life in general, to have kind of somebody like a Curtis who can be comedic in, in certain senses, even just somebody like you who can be comedic, how important is it to have... Uh, somebody like you on set to where you can make somebody laugh in such a tense scene.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the truest quotes I've ever heard or important books I've ever read was this book called truth and comedy. Right. Cause the thing about comedy is that it is truth. It does deal with the darker, you know, more intense moments of life. You can still find that light if you want, if you want to look for it, if you're open to look for it. You know, so I think that it's important because that's that's how life works, too. It's important to have a break. Because it's not all just dark, 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 sad, bad, 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 bad. bad. You know, it's like you got to have a mix of both. And I think that him being able to kind of bring some of that levity along with Felicity, I think that definitely helps and adds parallels to the show and gives it an interesting dynamic.
1: Absolutely. We're speaking with Echo Kellum, who plays Curtis Holt on air, of course, season five Wednesday nights at eight o'clock on the CW. Now, Echo, a lot of fans are wondering when we'll see you suit up as Mr. Terrific. And you've talked about it a little bit in past interviews. So I wanted to ask you, have you seen what the character looks like in the comics and what aspects of the suit and the character himself do you hope to bring to the show?
0: You know, I honestly, I love where they're going with him. And I think People, you know, I can't. Oh, I want to tell someone, but I think you will love his suit. I honestly do, and just trust me. It, it's really cool. It's really great. Maya is so wonderful, and it's so true to the comics. And so that's the thing I love the most about it. That it is really true. That, and you know, I definitely want to bring the aspects of Curtis uh, that propelled him into Mr. Terrific and help people connect with that character in the comics. I definitely actually think about those things when we come, when I approach the uh, role and we approach scenes and stuff like that. But I also have to realize and understand that, you know, even though he definitely borrows a lot from his uh, comic book alter ego and whatnot, that, you know, he still is very much his own person uh, who brings his own unique things to it too. But definitely, you know, his love of science and, you know, just how that really motivates pretty much almost everything he does. You know, and it's, it's, it's really important. For me to get that aspect of him across you know um but you know it's also interesting to have read all his comics and stuff like that and then really try to bring my own slice to breathe life into that character and you know working with the writers to make sure that you know uh i'm honoring you know their vision for him too because i really do trust them and think they have a, a, a great sense of writing and where to uh, take the show
2: With Oliver becoming mayor and a new team, Arrow, being formed, the theme of the season seems to be new beginnings. So in one word, how would you define the new steps Curtis takes in season five?
0: You know, the one word I'll use is challenging because it's not easy to be a hero. And I think when you get thrust into that, you know, you try to learn the hard way a lot of times. I mean, Oliver took him five years to get his ass kicked to really get into that aspect of where we saw him in season one, you know, going through tremendous hell. And I think it's going to be a challenge for Curtis to step into that role, but I think it's definitely something he can um, knock off the part. Because he just has a determination like no other. Like he's an Olympic athlete, and when he puts his brain in something, he just goes for it.
1: Absolutely, we can't wait to we can't wait to, for him to go for it, Nick. You've got one more.
2: Yeah, actually, I had a fun question for you, Echo. So, worst job: doing a it for Darth Vader or being a red shirt on Star Trek?
0: Dude, uh, first of all, I'm a huge Darth Vader fan, so I would I would do tech for him in real life. if he <laughs> for real? <laughs> um, like, you know, like, my, my like Xbox tag is Darth Echo, so like I love. Uh, I always like the bad guys. Isn't that crazy? Like, Apocalypse is my favorite Like Marvel characters. stuff like that, and I like love the onslaught series and stuff, too. But I always love the bad guys when I play video games and stuff like that or when I watch uh, what I read, the, the canon and stuff like that. But I wouldn't want to be a red shirt Star Trek. That's got to be a worse job for me either way.
2: But, yeah. <laughs> just, just imagine Darth Vader walk up to you, Echo, my streaming service is slow, and just chokes you in midair.
0: <laughs> I can't get my email. <laughs> All I know is you better
2: be on point with everything because he will, he will uh, force choke you if you don't. Well, not to mention, his suit kind of runs out of electronics, so if you yeah. kind of mess up his suit, he kind of dies. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that definitely wouldn't be
1: good. But luckily, not something you're going to have to deal with in Arrow Season 5, which, of course, you can watch every Wednesday night, at 8 o'clock on the CW. We're so happy to hear that this guy got promoted to a series regular because we love him. It's Echo Kellum. Thanks for joining us this week.
2: Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. You know, I'm just picturing what the IT uniforms look like aboard the Death Star. that would be pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, that would be pretty interesting. I don't know if they if they would be the command uniforms, you know, that you see, and then you get choked out by Darth Vader kind of right. thing. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what they look like, but I
2: wouldn't want to be wearing one. No. No, again, it could more likely be, if we talked about Star Trek a little bit earlier, the red shirt of, you know, the Death Star, per se. You think it's bad when the
1: Wi-Fi goes down here at our office? Yeah. Well, imagine it on the Death Star. That wouldn't be good. And
2: you could have all the Curtis Holtz in the world, and I'm not sure that it would be enough to satisfy <laughs> Darth Vader. It was fun, you know, to pick his brain about the evolution of Curtis. What we're seeing, we talked about that, you know, in our review of the premiere for season five, is that, hey, he's more assertive now this season. You know, last season he was more kind of, you know, caring and, and, and joking and stuff like that. Uh, comedic elements of course his character had and of course he had the whole thing with Felicity giving her the ability to walk again which was sweet but now he's, he's, we're seeing more of the assertive Curtis we're seeing the don't piss me off because I'll mm. beat that ass, Curtis. And also remember, we, we got to see
1: that, you know, last season kind of starstruck by Oliver and Green Air and all that. And now you see coming into this season, he was talking about how the relationship's gonna be different. And we kind of saw that in the premiere where he's definitely more sort of where he's like, You you get me on this team. You want you want me to help you, you train me, you make me a part of this team. Which before it might have been like, Oh my gosh, I'm in the arrow cave, I'm in the quiver, and you know, what are we gonna, this is so cool. Not anymore. Yeah. Now he's stepping up. Now it's more serious. And I can't wait to see where that goes as the season progresses.
2: I just can't wait to see him on the salmon ladder. I just can't wait. I
1: know. I can't wait to see him fall <laughs> We long. got a little bit of a
2: taste of that with the
1: trailer, but I, uh, I think it's going to be great. And I, and remember in the, tra- in the trailer for the next episode where he's where Oliver's like,
2: ring this bell. And they're right. all
1: running at him. I can't wait to see what he does with that, too. That's going to be great.
2: Right. I mean, it's going to be very, very interesting. But again, thanks to Echo Kellum for coming on and talking about Arrow. I think season, as we, we both thought... Season 5 is off to a tremendous and mm-hmm. strong start. But, hey, if you want more of us, feel free, of course, to hit us up on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash downandnerdy. We're also on Twitter at downnerdy757. I'm on Twitter at Merck with one arm. It's M-E-R-C. The with is spelled out. The one is spelled out. And his arm as well. Same thing on Instagram as well. I actually, my Instagram, I'm spending more time on that. Uh, so, hey, I'm posting Random selfies and gym photos. I'm actually yeah. If you like
1: workout pics,
2: yeah, if you like workout pics, that's the thing picks, for you. Hey, if you want to see me, tra- well, you know, I'm going back home for Christmas, so yeah. I mean, I need to look sexy. Yes, you should sure do absolutely. I, I need to. So that's so not hey. just sexy, but New
1: York sexy. New York sexy is totally kind <laughs> <forgot laughs> sexy right there.
2: That's sexy with that sexy with a splash of fuck you. There you
1: go. Much. That's right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but. But uh, yeah, so on Instagram, Merck with Warm as well. It's, you know, you, my thing is my profile is open, so feel free to hit me up. You don't have to add, you know, ask for permission. To, you know, follow me. Just follow me there. Like might have my permission though. No, they don't. Oh, oh, for your thing. <laughs> no, for you. Oh, for me. Yeah. You know, because
1: I'm like I'm like the muscle for you. You know, I'm I'm your I'm your secret assassin. I, I...
2: Are you though? Like I'm pretty built now, so
1: yeah. But that's the thing—you can't see me. I'm in the shadows. I'm also at James Ace on Air on Twitter. That's so. you're, you
2: can't, yeah, you can't see because your head, your face is buried deep within toddler shit. Well, yeah, that's definitely true. <laughs> if you like
1: toddler photos, follow me on Twitter. <laughs> Workout photos or toddler photos—either oh way,
2: we've got you covered. Oh my God, I have a perfect idea for Halloween. You should dress up your son like a little tuxedo, and you and Pam should be the Waynes. I don't know if that's a good idea. I want to survive the day. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to traumatize your child? Well, and, the and side, and
1: side of going. my house is kind of dark sometimes, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not walking over there dressed like Thomas Wayne. <laughs> and I'm not going to see a play
2: that day either. How about that? And I'm not going to the movies. Sound like Luke Cage, your is <laughs> not bullpen. No, it is not. But hey, James, where can I find you
1: on social media, man? We're at James Ace Witham on Twitter. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. All of that is spelled out, by the way. It's just, so we're Because we're making that clear. All of that is spelled out as well. But if you don't want to spell it out, screw it. Go to our website, downandnerdypodcast.com. You can find all of our socials on there. There's an About Us section. You can find all of our Twitters and Instagrams and various other stuff about us on there. Find out what's going on this week's show. Get stuff from our Amazon store, all at downandnerdypodcast.com. And as always, price safe comic Always begging and board your comics.